All right, greetings once again, coming to you live here from Free Money Free. It's a Monday morning, Thanksgiving week. Certainly a lot to be thankful for, and hopefully over the course of this week you're able to reflect on God's gracious provision in your life. Uh, one of the ways that He's been gracious to us, no doubt, is giving us the Word of God, uh, His revelation that we might know Him better. And so this morning, Jim and I are back here talking about Acts 6, 1-7. to I think another really encouraging passage, um, one that I found to be helpful this week as I was studying for it, but I'm, 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 as always, just curious how God was landing on you, or how His Word was landing on you this last 24 hours, Jim. What what stuck out to you in Acts 6, 1 to 7? Right. You know, I always, whenever I read read this passage, you know, and thinking about, you know, that these guys were devoted to prayer in, in the Word, and that's what we're supposed to be dedicated to, Right. And I think it's always a good reminder to say, oh, you know what, as a pastor, this is what I'm supposed to be about, dedicated to prayer and the Word. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, you know, the Word is something that we're always digging in, but I feel like that there are times that, like, prayer is probably one of those things that can get neglected easily, and I think that's always a good reminder to me that, no, one of the things that I need to be about is spending time in prayer, in prayer for the body, and you know, uh, and and so I think that's that's always convicting for me. Like that's always a good reminder of of this is part of my role, uh, even though I feel like I should be about other busy things. That you know, uh, yet this is the best busy thing that I could be doing. Right. Right. Yeah, I think the prayer piece was. I mean, it, to me, is a cumulative effect to this point in the Book of Acts of prayer just showing up again and again and again. I think the language of verse four in particular is just convicting that we will devote ourselves to prayer. Um, you know, I mean, it's one thing to say we'll pray, um, but to say we'll devote ourselves to prayer is a, is obviously a commitment of a different level. And so, yeah, I just think it's hard for us to pray. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of different reasons. I think we've talked about that on podcasts in the past, why prayer is such a difficult thing for us. Um, but I, I think it's convicting that we just don't pray enough. Um, we would rather spend time complaining about something than actually this spend time praying. And, um, you know, I think, I think, I think it was Luther who says something in the effect of, I'm I'm so busy today, I should spend the first three hours praying. And I think we, we tend to think that productivity is really important. And I think that's a function of where we live in the Midwest, the United States. And so we think, well, we need to be productive and we don't really have time for prayer, not realizing that perhaps prayer would actually, first of all, Prayer in itself is productivity, but prayer also probably enables us to be more productive in the rest of our life anyway. Um, if we're being led by the Spirit, I can't imagine that we wouldn't be more productive doing the things we need to do. Even if you think about our jobs and what we do, I think we would be far more effective and far more fruitful if we're more prayerful. Um, and, and again, like I, I think you're right that there is this pressure to feel like, well, if I pray, I'm wasting time. Like I, I have other things I need to do. <laughs> right. Um, but I just think that's a pretty man-centered way of thinking. Um, right. And you know, I mean, even in the last couple of weeks, I've whether it be through parenting or ministry situations here at the church, like I've I've just been really convicted that I can't change people, and I cannot um, mm. make them different. Like, and so my my instinct should not be to think. What's a better conversation I can have? Or is there a different way to approach this? My first instinct should be to pray and ask, God, please help. Um, now, that's not to say there's not a place to have those other conversations. But, I, you know, I think that's just an ongoing conviction. So I don't want to continue to rehash the conversation we've had in mo- la- the last several weeks. But I just feel like this is a huge part of Acts is they're just dependent upon God. 
And one of the ways they demonstrated that is through prayer. So, yeah, that was convicting for me, too. Yeah, to think about, like, you know, there are times that people will ask me or when I go home, what'd you do today? And I always wonder, like, like if I just spent the day reading the Word and praying, that's all I did. Right. And someone asked me, what'd you do today? And I said, well, I read the Bible and I prayed. Right. Like, you didn't do anything else? Like, I, I, I wonder, like, how does that how does that come across? Is that an encouraging thing to hear? Like, sometimes I think I feel like I have to have a list. Like, I met with these people, or I had these meetings, and we talked about these things, or, you know, here's the bullet point of all the productivity things I did today. Right. And, and instead, just say, I did these two things today. Right. Like, how, did, how does that come across, you know? Um, I don't know. I just, those are just some things that I think through. Like sometimes I think that I have this perception that I need to be the busy pastor that says, here's all the things I did today. Right. Um, And I kind of, I'll just be honest and say, if I said, you know what I did today? I read the Bible and I prayed that that doesn't sound very busy or productive, but it should be right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I'm a hard person to gauge the inside question because by my own Midwesternishness. Like to me, that doesn't sound productive either, right? Like, I well, what about all this other stuff you need to do? And and obviously, like, there's a ditch we could fall in on both sides sure. here. Like, we both understand that. Sure. But I doubt that many of us are in the danger of praying too much, right? Like, yep. And and um, you know, spending too much time in the Word. I I really think, given where we live and given the time period that we live in, I I really doubt that's too much of a concern for most of us. Like, I think all of us could probably. I feel fairly safe in saying that all of us in this church could probably grow in being more prayerful and being more dedicated to the Word. Right. Uh, I Absolutely. doubt that any of us are running the concern of of being of using prayer in the. I, I mean, I guess if you're using prayer in the Word as a cover up for your laziness, that's where it would be an issue. Like if your motives sure. were wrong, like. Well, I just don't want to do the hard work of loving people, so therefore I'm just going to go retreat and pray and read the Bible. Like, well, that that, that would be a problem, obviously. But if right. your desire is like, I want to, I want to see God do something, and I want to know who God is more, and I want to, I, I just love Him. Like, then to me, that's not a waste of time, obviously. But I think it feels like it, and that's that's maybe where the challenge is. Right, is that we just we, I, I think in particular with prayer. If if if, if I, I just think. Most of us think it's kind of a waste of time, if we're just being honest. And and so the idea that, you know, you'd say, well, I just spent eight hours praying today. Be like, well, come on, what do you really do? Like, well, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm convicted, even just like this week in preparation for the message, reading about past revivals in history and how much people prayed prior to those revivals happening. And then God responding graciously to the prayers of his people, like, Again, I just think our natural tendency is to complain, for example, about, oh, the country's going in this direction, rather than saying, you know what, let's stop complaining. Let's just start praying. Like, God, do something. Start right. a revival. Like, um, Not because we care about the kingdom of the United States advancing, but because we want your kingdom to advance, your kingdom, Lord, to advance on this earth. Right. And we want people that we love to know Jesus. Um, so, yeah, I think I think all those things have been running through my mind this week. It just devotion to prayer in particular is where I probably landed right. the most here in Acts 6. You know, I think another thing that really stood out to me that I really appreciated that you brought out in the sermon was talking about, um, you know, that these Hellenists uh, were the ones that were being left out, that these were a a slightly ethnic different people group, and the church saw it was the importance to make sure that we care for them. I think that, and and for you to, to mention to say, hey, this calls us to say, hey, we care for 
people of all, you know, all races and all social classes, I think is an important message for us to hear that, you know, we are one body. There is no Jew or Greek or slave or free, or we are all one in Christ. And I think that was a good reminder that says, you know, hey, we need to value all of God's people and to care for them and not neglect them. And so I thought that was a, a convicting thing and a good thing and just something that really, I think that just really sat heavy with me on Sunday as well. Yeah. I mean, we don't know why there was the um, disconnect between the Hellenists and Hebrews. I mean, that that's just kind of left unsaid. We don't know. I Like I said yesterday, I don't think it was necessarily malicious, but I, I don't think it was probably, um, you know, I don't think it was probably coincidence, I guess what I'm saying. There's right. probably a reason why, for some reason, the Hellenists were being dis- neglected by the Hebrews. Right. Um, and, and again, I don't think it was necessarily malicious, but it's just... Sometimes crossing cultural boundaries is hard. Um, and so I would guess there's some cultural disconnect here um, that made them, you know, not be able to, to whatever reason, care for the widows. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I thought about that a lot this week. Um, obviously, we've had a lot of conversations in the last couple of years in our country about race and, and racial reconciliation. And like I said yesterday, I, I think... I would guess almost every person in our church would say racial reconciliation is a good goal. But where the conversation gets contentious is that people just disagree on how to get there. And um, I think because of that, because it's become so contentious, is the the reflex of churches sometimes, maybe even ours, is just to avoid the topic because it's just, it's there's a like landmine on every side, right? Like no matter right. what proposal you throw out there, like you're going to have critics. Right. And so, and I've even seen this online with guys that I, I would say I respect as Bible teachers that they're, they're trying to talk about this issue that I think is still important that there is in the gospel, there's a crossing of racial and socioeconomic and age and all these boundaries. And I've seen guys that are tried to address the conversation. They get attacked on both sides for, you know, being too woke on the one hand, or maybe having a white supremacist attitude on the other hand, like, and, and so there's just this idea that, well, let's just not have the conversation at all. Um, and listen, like I said yesterday, I think there's a place for us to say we, we have to reject um, worldly and unbiblical means of approaching this topic. But that doesn't mean that the gospel doesn't speak to the, the crossing over of our, our love crossing over boundaries, right? And that, right. that there should be a uniting that happens because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, the people right. from different... Like I said, it's not just to me. It's not just a diversity issue of skin color, although that's certainly part of it. But it's also a diversity of socioeconomic status, and a diversity of education, and a diversity of um, cultural backgrounds, and a diversity of age. Even like we should be able to cross boundaries with the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that the rest of the world can't even understand or explain. And so, yeah, I mean, I sell that to say, you know, when I read this and thought about the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Obviously, the focus here isn't about the you know the ethnic diversity and how they need to come together, but that's a part of the story, and that they need right. to love each other. And I think, I think there is something about the body of Christ that we should be able to cross boundaries that other places can't do because we have the Spirit and because we're part of the same family. Right. So, I know I'm kind of rambling at this point, but I, you know, it's a topic that I've thought a lot about. Um, you know, some of it is just our own family dynamics. Some of it is there's brothers, sisters in church that I love and I think about them and what it means and, and just, I don't know. It's obviously a conversation that's on the forefront of our culture. So 
all that to say, I think when I was thinking about that this week, it, it particularly impacted me as well. Right. It does seem like the second command, great commandment of love your neighbor as yourself has gotten, is not as simple as it used to be. It seems like anymore. Yeah. And yet that's what we're called to do, right? Is just love one another well and love Jesus and go and go forth. Right. Yeah. Well, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is really interesting, right? Um, because it's the Samaritan who, by the way, there would have been all kinds of you know, ethnic differences between the Jews and the Samaritans. And it's the Samaritan who helps. Who helps the Jew, not, right. but not the other way around. Yeah. And I think there is, like, who is your neighbor? Like, well, it's the person God puts in front of you, right? Right. And so, again, like, I, I understand, like, why people are get kind of, you know, frustrated with the conversation because it often is taken in unbiblical directions. And the solutions that are offered up for, like, how do we cross over and have racial unity are often unbiblical and worldly. So I get the frustration, but that doesn't mean that we can just stop trying to figure out how to love our neighbor better. Um, and I, I think loving our neighbor better does include loving people who don't look like us or talk like us or come from the same background we do. And right. so there has to be a place to still have that conversation in the church. Even though it's fraught with danger, um, I think we still have to be able to say that the gospel does cross over these boundaries, and we need to think through like what our role is in loving our neighbor well. Um, right. And, and not, not neglecting it just because the conversation's hard or just because we might get critiques from people on every side of the spectrum. Right. And what I really love about this passage is there's not a debate, right? There's a problem. The problem is recognized as a problem. And then there's the let's solve the problem. Let's come up with a solution, which is what they do, right? Like, and we don't know the ins and outs of this, but you do get the sense that they see that this is a problem and we need to address it. You know, there wasn't a debate of, should we do this or should we not do this? It was, let's go find the guys who can do this and let's make sure this gets done. But I think it is an interesting picture of, say, this is what the early church looked like. It wasn't perfect. Right. It had a problem. And they said, here's the work that we did to, go, to, to solve the problem and to address the issue. Right. Yeah, even the language of verse 1 is pretty interesting. Like, I think... Um, now, in these days, when the disciples are increasing number of complaint by the Hellenists arose, um, the, some of the commentators point out that complaint here is, is actually pretty similar language to the Israelites grumbling in the desert. Like, in other words, it wasn't like a, a friendly, like, hey, I, I think you're overlooking our widows. Yeah, I, you know, I doubt it's no big deal. Like, let's just figure it out. Like, it was probably they were grumbling. Like, what are you doing? Like, and so in that, there's... I don't know, maybe maybe this is odd for me to say, but it's kind of refreshing to realize, like, hey, the early church had problems too, right? right. Um, and to realize, like, hey, when we have, you know, things that come up here and people get frustrated, like, well, that happened to the apostles too, right? Like, that there are people who are, who are frustrated and complaining. And now I think the apostles provide a model for us how to respond to it. It's not that they... Now, again, I understand that we get a very small picture of what happened here. Like, right. we get a five-second version of a problem that probably, who knows, could have taken weeks to figure out. I'm not right. sure. Um, but all that to say, like, you're right. They seem to see, okay, this is an issue. Like, may maybe their hearts and the way they brought it, they were complaining and grumbling in a way that wasn't helpful, but they still saw, well, it's legitimate. Like, so we got to figure out a way to resolve this, and they take it very seriously. So, yeah, I, th I think... There is something oddly refreshing to realize, okay, the early church wasn't perfect, 
But the way they resolved it is to keep prioritizing the preaching of the word. Don't neglect that. They prayed, obviously. And then they, they still thought it was important to love each other, which is obviously the point of what we talked about yesterday. Right. And then they found these guys, these seven guys, that were equipped and ready to serve and serve the body well. I mean, I had a lot of thoughts of... First Corinthians 12, right? Body life, you know. Sure. Everybody has a role and everybody does their part and everybody serves and the church functions better. And I, as one of the things I, I kind of appreciated was, you know, we only know like Philip and Stephen of the seven guys. These other five guys, I don't know if they're ever mentioned in scripture again or not, but nope. they're, they're, we don't know anything about them. But yet they just faithfully went and served the Lord and served the church well. And that kind of encouraged me, like in our day of celebrity pastor mentality, like it's okay to be a nameless guy that you don't know anything about, just faithfully love the Lord, serve the church. That's what I want to be about. Like that was a good personal reminder to me to say, hey, you know, it's okay to be uh, uh, Timon, right? That uh, I can be that type of guy, you know, and and just and embrace that role. Yeah. Yeah, last night we, we were kind of joking, like, we don't even know how to pronounce these guys' names, right? <laughs> I mean, is it right. Timon? Is it Timon? Is it Prochorus? Prochorus? Like, what are right. they? We don't even know how to pronounce their names, but here they are, recorded forever in the words of Scripture, and just doing what God's called them to do. Right. Um, so I, I do want to ask a question about those guys, though. Like, why do you think, like, to me, serving tables... Like, it seems like a pretty high standard here, right? That they have to be filled with the Spirit, filled with wisdom, men of good reputation in order to serve tables. Um, right. So why is that? Like, why, why do you think the apostles thought it was so important to find qualified men to deal with this issue, which seems kind of more logistical than anything? At least, at least on the surface. Right. It seems like a logistical issue. Let's make sure the Hellenist widows aren't neglected. Right. So why, why the high standard of qualifications here? Right. I also think it's interesting in verse 6 too, right? that they set them before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Like, like, like you're going, wow, they are, they are really taking this role super seriously. Right. Mm -hmm. And I wondered that too. I mean, we do see, I mean, what we're going to see next week. I mean, Stephen is going about the work of the ministry, you know, so he's doing more than just serving tables, right? He's going around preaching and proclaiming Christ. Well, Philip too, obviously. Yeah, and Philip too. What we'll we'll see in, in Acts chapter eight, right? So you know, you got to get a sense that maybe these guys were doing more than just waiting on the tables. That maybe that was the expectation of them, but part of their expectation was to do this work as well, right? I don't know. That's that's just my first initial thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I think it does speak to the importance of. Caring for people, like, and serving people isn't just, like, the throwaway ministry. Like, okay, mm -hmm. up, up, up front That's we good. have the teachers. Like, they're right. the ones that matter. Like, right. But caring for people, well, just get anybody. Like, I don't think so. Like, and I think, I think it's speaking to, like, there is something, like, there, there's obviously an importance to preach the Word of God, right? But that doesn't mean that other things that the church does are unimportant. Right. Um, and in this case, like loving the Hellenists, and, and perhaps like some of it is like, you know, perhaps they're complaining attitude, like in, and just how frustrated they are necessitated that you have guys who have a good reputation for handling things well and like would step in and smooth the waters, right? Like maybe that's some of it. I don't know. But I think a lot of it just speaks to, hey, these other roles in the church are not unimportant. Yeah, they're um, not flippant, right? It's, it's not like, 
hey, you know, you're the teacher. Well, that role matters. Let's make sure that they have the qualifications, but anybody can do this. Like, mm-hmm. well, I think, and sometimes I think we do have that attitude in the church and we forget, no, like caring for one another and loving each other is a really important part of the church's mission too. So let's make sure we get people who represent that well and who are, um, have good reputations and are filled with the Holy Spirit and, and um, have wisdom as well. So I, I think it speaks to the importance of that role. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So here's a, here's a question I want to ask you about the way the church is supposed to love each other. How, how, how do we reckon with the fact that in the Midwest we are very self-sufficient and we don't like to be helped? Um, so last night we were talking about, and also we live in an affluent culture, and to be honest, we don't need as much help. Right. So... I guess I'm just, I'm wondering, like, what does it look like for us to care for each other like the early church did? You, you know, you, you go back and ask, like, already we've seen them selling possessions to help those who are in need. Um, so I, I think there's a couple of challenges here in our context. Like, one is that we live in a much more affluent culture than they did back in the first century. Right. So generally speaking, we have most of what we not only need, but most of what we want, generally speaking. Right. Um, two, we live in the Midwest, and we don't like asking for help. Right. So how do we actually, like, and so I think the problem with both of those things is that we potentially don't have the opportunity, like if Jesus says that by this all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another, because we're self-sufficient, because we're affluent, because we have all these things, and we don't have an opportunity to love each other very well, we kind of sometimes miss out an opportunity to demonstrate to the world around us, this is what the love of Christ looks like in action. Right. So, you know, I, I would love for you to solve this problem for us, Unpack Jim, that. and tell us, like, how does this work in Fremont, Nebraska, at our church, given those dynamics? Like, how do we actually go about caring for each other in a way that demonstrates the love of Christ to a dying world? Okay, well, maybe I hear two different questions. Are you asking the question, one, how do we get people to ask for help? Uh, maybe. I mean, what's the second question you think I'm asking? Or just how do we help people in general? Um, well, I'm a little bit, I guess I'm getting a little bit of both of those. Yeah, like how do we, how do we get to a place where we're okay asking for help? Like, um, right. But secondly, how do, we, how do we live out what it means to love each other when we have all these factors where we don't like to be helped? And we, right. you know, I guess, so maybe right. I'm asking kind of a, a vague question, but I don't really know how to concretely ask it other than I think this is hard for us to do. You think it, I think what I hear you saying, it's hard for us to ask for help. It's hard for us to ask for help. I, I think most and of how us, do we overcome that? Sure. Yeah, I guess that's maybe the, the, the heart of what I'm asking. Like, in, I think in, in, in general, like most of us are willing to help in theory. But I think it doesn't really like, you know, someone shared a story last night in our group that, you know, they've they've been um, painting their house for a couple of years, just ongoing. And, and we're like, well, Maybe we should just all come over one week and just knock it out and be done with it, right? Like, but it's been mm-hmm. a project that's dragged out for a couple of years. And, and then we were just talking about like, well, um, so last night we were asking Nico, would that happen in Costa Rica? And he's like, well, no, we would, we would just realize like, you know, this weekend I'm going to go help this guy. And the next weekend he's going to come help me. Like, and we would just kind of rotate the help around. And, and we were just talking about like, well, in the United States, it doesn't really work that way. Like, you just do it on your own. Like, so right. I guess... How do we overcome that obstacle to love each other? That maybe that's the heart of the question I'm getting at. Yeah, I think um, 
I think there's a gospel component in here that, I mean, the heart of the gospel says, I need help. The heart of the gospel says, I cannot attain salvation. I cannot do the work that I need to do in order to, to get the salvation that I need. Like I need help. Um, and yet Jesus graciously comes and helps us where we need help. And to be thankful that we have a gracious Savior who comes and helps us when we are totally helpless. And I do think that is something that should free us up to say, hey, I need help. Uh, and and, uh, and uh, because what that allows is that allows us to display the gospel tangibly in the lives of people. To say, hey, you need help? I would love to come and help you. Let me Let me love you well by coming and help you. And I think... Like there's that, I just, I just think there's still that performance-based mentality, right? Mm-hmm. There's still a performance-based mentality that says, I have to do this. And when you understand the gospel is not about our performance and what we do, that I think that should free us up to say, hey, I can't do this, so I'm going to ask for help because I can't, I can't perform. I can't do this on my own. And sometimes I still wonder if that's where there's still a deeper gospel work that makes that needs to take place in our lives to recognize that we need help and that's why we have the body of christ is because we can go there and ask for help yeah yeah i think maybe uh, part of me wonders if some of it's just an overreaction to the problem on the opposite side meaning like there are people who obviously instead of working hard and instead of doing what they need to do to take responsibility they just lean on others charity right like and so we see that and we think, well, that's not right. And in fact, First Thessalonians would say that's not right either, right? Um, but because of that, we think, well, I don't want to be that person, so I'm not going to ask for any help at all. Like, sure. And we Which over- is a performance-based mentality. Right. So we overreact like, to it. I got to look good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to look needy. I don't want to look like I need help or I don't look like I'm overmatched. Like, So I think you're right. There is a... I mean, it's a pride issue, I suppose, at the end of the day, right? Like that I, I need to appear a certain way that I'm more capable than I actually am. Um, right. When the truth is like, I, you know, it's funny because the gospel should free us up to realize like, yeah, we kind of know we're messed up. Like we've read Genesis 3. Like we know right. that we are not capable of doing everything. Right. Um, but yet for some reason it's like, yeah, we'll acknowledge that when it comes to our salvation. But then when it comes to daily life, we're like, well, yeah, but we're really pretty strong. It's like, well, not really. I mean, have we read the Bible? Right? Like, we know we're messed up and we're going to have inadequacies and weaknesses. And, and we're, there's going to be some things that we just can't do as well. And so to ask for help in those areas is not a sign of weakness, really, right? It's more of a sign right. of, like, that God has done a work in you to help you realize what you're good at and what you need help with. Right. Um and so I think I think you're right. Like I suppose the the initial thought is, um, you know, we just have to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ and let the gospel seep deeper in. I mean, I think right. I will say like one of the one of the advantages of going through extraordinary trials is that you get to a place where you realize you can't do it on your own, and then right. you do need help. Right. And so, you know, I'm not wishing that every person in the church goes through an extraordinary trial, um, but I do think sometimes. Like when you get to a place where you realize I can't do this, yeah. like that's not a terrible place to be actually. Right. Um, Cause then you realize number one, God's sufficient. Number two, he provides the church body to help you get through those things. Right. So yeah, I, di- I just think, I-, I think we're like the idea of just sharing, Hey, wh- 
what's one way that someone, like for example, in your gospel community, what's one way they could help you? Like, that's just a really scary question to ask because we don't like admitting where we need help. Right. So I I think we have to realize like part of, part of our struggles to like, I think we read Acts 2 or Acts 4 where they're selling their possessions and they give to the needy and we think, yeah, let's, let's be the people who do that. Like, but what we fail to realize is that there's people on the other side who had to admit, I need help. And right. that's the part that I think we're actually more uncomfortable with. Right. And I think that's where, like, you know, when we, when we take up our benevolent offering once a month, right? And one of the things I think you do a really good job at is say, hey, if you're here and you, and you need help, will you come to us? Like, we, that's why we do this. We're wanting to live out Acts 6 well and right. helping those within the church that have needs and say, hey, we're here to help. So come talk to us. We want to help you. Right. And I do think that like just to continue to proclaim that message to say, hey, you don't have to perform. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be something that you're not. Let us let the body do act six well and let us help you. Yeah. It, and, but I will say on the other side, like I think I think where we can grow in our willingness to help others is we'll often help if it's not inconvenient. Sure. Um, but if it gets inconvenient, then we're not quite as willing to help. And that's where I think we can grow in the willingness to help others, right? Like even right. even that example I talked about, like, you know, Nico sharing in Costa Rica, you go from place to place weekend after weekend. Like there, there's part of me that thinks, oh, that'd be cool. But then there's part of me that thinks, if I'm just being honest, well, that takes up all my weekends, right? Like, right. and we have a busy kids schedule, like, right. and then you throw in like just our busy. So I think there is an area to grow too, where we say, hey, we have to be willing to inconvenience ourselves to make this happen. So there, there's an area to grow in saying, I need help. But there's also where I, I think, you know, like um, putting money in the benevolent offering is good and sometimes is very sacrificial, praise right. God. But oftentimes it's just easy to just write a check than it is to actually jump in and help a person right. because then it gets messy. But, you know, I can never think of a time where I went and helped someone with, you know, some sort of a project that I walked away going, man, I really wish I didn't do that today. All right. You know, every time I'm like, man, I'm really glad I was there to help them. Like that was encouraging. Like it always encourages me to say, even though I could have done this with my evening or this with my weekend. And I was really glad that I was there to help them out. Right. You know, I always feel like this is good and right. And, and that's a good thing to remember too, I think is to say, Hey, you know how you're going to feel when this is all said and done. You're going to be glad you did this. Yeah, that's what's interesting about the Christian life, right? Like, I don't think there's times where I've got to the end of reading my Bible and thought, boy, that was a waste of time. You know, I mean, there's times where I wasn't checked in all the way, but that was my own issue, right? It wasn't that I right. thought the Word of God was deficient. Um, right. Or serving other people, same thing, or sharing the gospel. Like, I've never thought, boy, I really regret that I just shared Christ with that person, right? But yet we right. don't do it. Um, and I think that speaks to the spiritual warfare component into our own sinful tendencies. But you're right. Like if we just remind ourselves, hey, I'll, I'll be glad I did this when I do it, then we'd probably be more willing to inconvenience ourselves. Right. All right. Well, it seems like we've covered a lot of issues today across the spectrum. Is okay. there anything else you'd like I got, to talk I got, about? I do got one last question for you here. Okay. Why in the world in verse 7 did Luke take the time to say at the very end, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith? Like, that just seems like a little throw in there that, like, huh, that doesn't seem to fit with the flow of this passage, but yet there it is. Did you read anything in your commentaries that week, well, this two, week? Well, two things. Like, that? one, I think um, I think Acts 6-7 is, is probably not just a summary of Acts 6-1-6, to 6, but also of all the Acts up to this point. I think there's five summary statements like this mm. in the Gospel of Acts. This is the first. Okay. Um, and so some of it I would say is, 
Um, well, it may not just be speaking about Acts 6, 1 to 6. Now, I think Acts 6, 1 to 6 is playing into it and plays a part in it, but I think it's speaking maybe something larger. Secondly, I, I think it's just speaking to the power of the gospel, right? The priests were those who were probably most opposed to the gospel advancing. Right. Um, and yet, many of them are coming to faith. And I, I think it's just speaking to, hey, this is, this is how powerful this thing was, that the people who are most naturally inclined to be opposed to it and persecute the apostles, actually a good number of them are coming to faith in Christ too. Like, so I think, it's, I think it's speaking also to the power of the gospel to overcome these great barriers yeah. and the word of God's increasing. So that's, that's my I mean, it's thoughts. A, it's a neat verse. It's a neat thing to say, but it's like, oh, we're just going to drop this right here. Yeah. You know, is a little interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, as we're about to find out, that doesn't mean that all of the priests were accepting and that no, all the religious leaders weren't. were on board, as Stephen is about to find out, right? That's like, true. Um, yeah. But there are a great many, and that's not to be discounted. It's, it's speaking to the power of the Word. Right. So, all right. Well, next week is a long passage. Uh, I know you're preparing for this one, Acts 6-8 through Acts 8-3. A, a long message, and as you're reading this week, speaking to the, the people who are listening here, like I think the question to ask is, what is Stephen's point in this really long speech? I, th- I know the question we've always asked is, why does he take so long to make the point? Um, now, to be fair to Stephen, if you read this, it probably takes about five minutes, right? And most sermons you know, go much longer than five minutes. So we talk about, oh, this is such a long speech, but it only is five minutes, and I'm sure it's a truncated version of what he actually said. Um, but all that to say, what, what is Stephen trying to say, and why does he take so long to get there? Those are some questions that I think are worth pondering for this next week. And it is the longest uh, sermon in Acts. In yeah, the there you Acts. go. And I think perhaps our longest section of Scripture that we're dealing with throughout the course of the book of Acts. So, Seven, 71 verses. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. So buckle up. It should be good. I, I'm actually really looking forward to it. I think it's a great passage. I think there's something really powerful about the way you use the Old Testament to make this point. Right. And so I've, I'm looking forward to hearing about that this Sunday. That said, in the meantime, have a great Thanksgiving. Again, we have a lot to be thankful for, not the least of which is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that he rose three days later, and because of that, we have hope. And so I would encourage you this week as you eat your turkey or maybe you have ham, if you're one of those people, like whatever you're doing, just to remember that at the end of the day, we are thankful because of who Jesus is. That's, that's what we're celebrating, not just that God provides for us on a daily basis, although that's important, but that he provided for us on an eternal basis by sending Jesus Christ to die for our sins. So happy Thanksgiving, and we'll catch you next week. Mm-hmm.